Working for Crusoe, uh, Banking Collapse Special Edition. Uh, Sam Park and John Ramey with you. Sam Park, there's an article by Annie Lowry in The Atlantic. And the I headline, haven't read that one. Uh, it's specifically the headline is Why You Should Be Outraged by the Silicon Valley Bank Collapse. Oh, okay. Then maybe I don't need to read it. <laughs> Bingo. There's another fine article in the San Francisco Chronicle, which I just sent to you uh, on the same thing by Carolyn Said. Okay. And, you know, as the more I read about this crisis, including the tech sector asking for certain Dodd-Frank protections to be rolled back a couple years back because it was so hard to generate money. Right. Um, you know, to raise cash. Uh, I just, I don't Sam, I just the outrage I feel towards basically very well off to unthinkably wealthy people essentially playing roulette. And then when they lose, they throw up their hands and say, oops, give us some cash or the world financial sector collapses. Might collapse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like and, and, you know, like, let's say uh, they're wrong. We can't afford, as the, That's right. the rest of the yeah. world, you know, like we just, it's such high stakes. The yes. stakes are so high that we're, we're screwed. Well, okay. Now, now, I don't think we're having a global meltdown and, and the stocks would indicate that smarter people than me uh, think the banking sector is, is not. Ostensibly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, you know, there are things that have happened today, including... Um, Chase, you know, putting together um, a consortium, a consortium of, to yes. keep First Republic afloat. But yes, you still have but, Signature and Silicon Valley got shut down, and that's to say nothing of Credit Suisse, which is yeah, you know international. The the, the uh, Swiss government seems to be stepping in in that case, right? That's helped calm the markets today. Also, uh, yes, I mean, I've been thinking basically all week that uh, uh, venture capital essentially played chicken against. Uh, the federal financial regulators and won and could be very confident that they would win because federal financial rec regulators, especially the Federal Reserve, have a history of checking out in, in, in situations such as this. I would add also that these people are called venture capitalists, but they suddenly became uncomfortable with the idea of venturing their capital. Uh, and so it's just like, okay, well, why do you call yourselves then that? Uh, I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. But just to 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 back up a little bit here on this podcast, we generally talk about economics and foreign affairs, even though neither you nor I has any academic or professional credentials in either of those fields. The value that we bring to this discussion is as reasonably well-informed laymen, right, as we imagine our listeners to also be, right? It's an outsider's perspective. Again, we try to keep up with things and, and you know, have some idea of what we're talking about, but we don't participate in these things directly as decision makers. No, and my journalism has never been regarding foreign affairs or economics. Exactly, right. Sports so and a little news for me. Yeah, so to the extent that you're a journalist, you don't you don't specialize in either of these Not at all. areas. 
and that's fun. But I'll tell you what, I was working at KNX 1070 News Radio, CBS Los Angeles in 2008, and I was working in a newsroom that entire time. Well, I'm glad you mentioned 2008. Because Uh, I was a grown enough person to have a relatively modestly paying job. And I remember how it felt then. I believe that. And I just cannot believe any iteration of that is legally allowed to happen again. Okay, so that's why we're working for Crusoe. We're not Crusoe. That's right. right? Uh, And so that's why we're called that. So to get a, a more professionally informed perspective, I would recommend to anybody that they take a couple hours and watch the episode of Frontline that aired on PBS on this on Tuesday of this week, which was called Age of Easy Money. And to their credit, they worked over the weekend, apparently, to even though this episode was obviously weeks and months in the making, they worked over the weekend to generate new bookend segments about SVB specifically, uh, which they very seamlessly worked into the, the broader narrative of what they were talking about, which was Fed policy on interest rates and quantitative easing, easing beginning with the financial crisis of 2008, which you just mentioned. And they talked to real insiders, people from the Fed, you know, other journalists. uh, And one of the people that they spoke to was a journalist named Rona Ruhar, who works today for the fiscal, I'm sorry, the Financial Times. Although in 2008, if, if I recall correctly, she was working for Time Magazine. But she's been reporting on this field for many years. And even though the documentary only covered 2008 until today, Baruhar mentioned that actually the age of easy money essentially encompasses the entirety of the 21st century up until last year, because interest rates were first very dramatically reduced at the beginning of the 21st century in reaction to the tandem shocks of the first dot-com meltdown, and this terrorist attack of September 11th, 2001. And so, again, from my layman's perspective, in our last episode in which we talked about the Fed, I know that I mentioned at least one of these two points, and I think I mentioned both of them. In either case, I mentioned both of them in our offline telephone conversation last week. And the first one is that the people work investors that is people working in the financial sector especially investors somehow don't seem to have believed chairman powell when he's been saying over for a year now that he that he and the rest of the fed intend to keep raising interest rates until such time as inflation comes under control Somehow investors have seemed skeptical about or thought he would change his mind. Now, again, I wasn't. You weren't. Well, no, exactly. But then again, but we're laymen. Right. So on another part of my brain, I figured, well, there must be things about the financial industry that I don't understand that would explain why this happened. However, last weekend, I was reading the then current or then new issue of The Economist, which, by the way, went to press before the meltdown of Silicon Valley Bank. 
I'm going to stop you right there because I want to okay. pick it up right there. But I just, just real quick. So the timeline is Silicon Valley Bank collapses last Friday, right? Six days yes. ago. That was the end of the collapse. Yeah. Right. Regulators shut down Signature over the weekend. Yes. Credit Suisse on Wednesday has wonky shares and whispers of shakiness, right? Yeah, and uh, well, the the uh, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund refused to come in for over ten percent, right? Okay, so but but we tape this um, for release on Friday, March seventeenth. So all this has happened within the last six days, and essentially, it's uh, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and then more recently, First Republic in the United States, and then Credit Suisse in Switzerland. And so anyway, I just wanted to make sure we establish that timeline. Please carry on. Okay, so I'm reading The Economist over the weekend. And again, this issue went to the printer before any of this happened, right? And I'm reading the Buttonwood column, which is covering the, you know, general trends in financial markets. And they were talking about Chairman Powell's uh, appearance before Congress last week, right? And in which he reiterated again that they were going to keep raising interest rates. And here's a direct quote from paragraph two, which (laughs) begins, investors are serially reluctant to take Mr. Powell at his word because its implications are unpleasant for them. Indeed. Uh, And so this is the actual first confirmation I've ever had that my layman's interpretation of these events actually was correct, where I had assumed that there must be some something I was getting wrong. But no, The Economist says I was right about that, which is appalling. Uh, Sam, it is appalling, right? Okay, but, but I'm not done. Okay. okay. The other thing that I said was that because interest rates have been so low for such a long time, it seemed to me as a layman that people working in finance just don't understand how to operate in a higher or a rising interest rate environment. But again, I figured there must be something I'm missing. Apparently not, all right? I've seen venture capitalists and other financial professionals on national television this week. One of them a venture capitalist. I'm, I'm not sure if he was involved in SVB or not. I think he was, I'm not certain about this. But he said, well, you know, our, our venture... Uh, I'm sorry, our startup clients can't be expected to understand, you know, how to manage interest rate risks. And neither can venture capitalists unless they happen to come from the finance industry. And I'm thinking, wait a second. You guys are investors who are pushing large amounts of money around in one of the most important sectors of our economy. And you're telling me after a year of rising interest rates that you don't know what that means? I'm sorry. Uh, That's just not acceptable, right? After a year of this, you come out now and say, oh, I don't know what to do? Well, I'll tell you, I think Denny's is hiring. Right. Uh, Or how about (laughs) this? Yeah. How about... Maybe you just don't make a big stinking pile of money this year. 
Maybe as a venture capitalist, you say, oh, well. I'll settle I, for six figures or seven well, figures this my year. My venture just yeah. didn't work out. Yeah. I guess I'll have to adjust my family's budget like every other person. Uh, Sam, maybe- it's almost as if once you reach a certain liquidity or if you're an investor, it's like once you get across a certain threshold, loss is somehow no longer part of the equipment. Risk is somehow risk becomes somebody else's problem because the the amount of, of cash somehow cancels it out, which is not actually the truth. But, but it seems it, that people operate it, on this assumption. Not only is it not the truth, it's the opposite of how this industry is supposed to work. Again, you're called a venture capitalist. Venture means risk. It's a synonym of yeah. risk. And if you're not willing to shoulder that risk, you shouldn't be working in this industry. Right. Right. And so, in th- fact, side note, they're propping up businesses that maybe aren't even profitable that destroy whole sectors of the traditional economy. That's another podcast. Okay. But think that the problem, however, is that they might be right. Okay. It might just be that they don't know how to do this. Right. And, and can't actually be expected to know how to do it because they have no experience. But I, I found it interesting that uh, you brought up First Republic, which was rescued today, not by any no, no, no. government authority. No, 11 right? gangsters from the other blocks decided it okay, was better. But there is precedent for this. 11 banks. The In 1998, one of the very earliest hedge funds, which was called Long-Term Capital Management, was in danger of going under, and then-Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan convened the heads of all the large investment banks and said, you have to rescue long-term capital. Uh, And they all got very angry, but they all agreed to do it, except for Bear Stearns, who who was, very ironically, 10 years later, the first investment banking firm that had to be wound up by uh, whatever emergency measure the Fed used that. But they were the first uh, uh, people to go down in the financial crisis of 2008. So this idea of a consortium of private sector actors getting together to rescue one of their fellow institutions is not at all new. Uh, And by the way, I think that's what should have happened with uh, Silicon Valley Bank. The, I mean, Silicon Valley Bank had a hole in their treasury position that they were trying to fill and ended up taking loss of $2 billion uh, to cover deposits. Their whole portfolio of treasuries was valued at about $17 billion. Uh, And now, $2 billion, $17 billion, that's a lot of money, okay, no matter how you slice it. But I think venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, I think they could get get together $17 billion without a lot of difficulty. I mean, it's not couch cushion money, but... If anybody can If anybody can, yeah. And it should have been them, but that's not what they did. No, but somehow the banking sector knows how to do it, Morgan. And it's interesting. I got I to gotta tell you this. You know why we have a Fed, 
is because JP Morgan had to do the exact same thing informally yeah, after yeah. the panic of 1907. That's right. He That's was right. like, oh, the financial banks are going under. That's not good for my business. Let's shore this up. Now, yeah. Morgan was wildly wealthy compared to the rest of the And he was only economy. one person. Right. Yeah. It might be that some of these venture capitalists don't like each other very much. I don't know that. I'm just, uh, but I think they could have done it. And it's possible that just because the time frame was so urgent over the weekend that they couldn't have been expected to do it. Uh, but I think a more forceful Federal Reserve chairman such as Alan Greenspan, who certainly is a more forceful personality than Jay Powell, not to slag off Powell necessarily, right? But he could have done something like this more easily than uh, than Powell did. On the other hand, maybe I'm wrong about that. It's possible that these kids working in venture capital today don't have the same sort of idea of uh, sort of institutional rectitude that the heads of the largest investment banks in America had back in 1998, which was after I'd say that's that's maybe likely. Yeah. But okay. But let's think about this. As Faruhar said, right, this is at the age of easy money has been going on all through this century. Think about what this century looked like at that time when it began. Uh, Facebook didn't exist. Netflix was selling or sending people DVDs through the mail. Google was an infant company. Amazon had never made a profit, was a fraction of the size it is today. Apple was still trying to figure out where it fit into the market. Yeah, they had not yet invented the iPhone. Right. Right. Uh, and so now, mind you, all those firms I just mentioned, I think they would still all be successful firms today without easy money, right? But that's not what happened. Uh, they, I, I think it would have been difficult for them to grow anywhere near as rapidly as they did without the low interest rate environment. And I don't want to come off here like I'm slagging off tech, right? For instance- It's fine with me, man. Well, not just that, but the, the, the software you and I are using right now to do this podcast- I totally get it. I totally right? get it. Uh, yeah. But again- we're using Zoom, right? Which nobody had heard of before the pandemic, right? And during the pandemic, tech stocks took off rapidly, not just Zoom, but delivery services, uh, streaming, things like this that, you know, I would say delivery services would not, would be a fraction of their current size if it wasn't for the pandemic. But all the capitalist backing firms like that, did it not occur to them that the pandemic would end and that these companies would suddenly be experiencing less business? Did, did that really not enter their minds? Apparently not. Sam, it's, it, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. To go back to long-term capital, they were a hedge fund, right? We don't hear as much about hedge funds anymore. There are still quite a few of them around. But they were one of the first hedge funds, and they're called that ostensibly because they hedge risk, right? Or not. Apparently, they weren't doing a very good job of hedging risk. So we had a near meltdown 25 years ago because hedge funds couldn't hedge. 
Then in 2008, there were all these things like credit default swaps, collateralized debt obligations and the like, these new exotic financial instruments, which were designed and promoted as being able to mitigate risk. Instead, which is hilarious in hindsight. I don't know, you know, depending on your definition right. of hilarious. Right. Instead, they ended up spreading risk throughout Everywhere. the entire system. And one of the people uh, on Frontline the other night was a fellow named Nuriel Rubini, who's an ec- economist at NYU. He was one of the few people ahead of the crisis in 2008 to say, this is going to blow up and it's going to be very, very bad. And again, that was also during a very low interest rate environment after 9-11. And at that point, the Fed kept interest rates very low. And many people, well, I don't know about many, but quite a few people said that they needed to start raising them. I remember in The Economist, they were saying for a, a year or two, if the Fed does not start raising interest rates soon, they risk inflating an asset asset price bubble, especially in housing. And that's exactly what happened. Of course, that only ended up being the tip of the iceberg because the, the bigger problem ended up being credit default swaps and the like, right? Which just made the whole thing a much, much bigger mess than it otherwise would have been. So again, hedge funds couldn't hedge. Instruments designed to mitigate risk actually increased risk. And now venture capitalists don't want to venture capital. At some point, after 25 years, we have to kind of, how can we not conclude that these people just don't know what they're doing? So, Sam, that takes me to my point. We think about the language involved. We used to talk about captains of industry, right? Think about that metaphor, yeah. captain. Now it's the, the, now it's like the 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 third. Mid, it's like <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to say the cook because at least the cook has to figure out how to not get burned, right? It's like the oarsman of 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 industry, right? These, if you're a captain, you're supposed to be looking out for potential risk and yes. charting a course that avoids that while and still that risk making. To, yeah, that risk has to be longer than. A day from now. That's right. right? I mean, it's like, again, did you not think the pandemic was going to end? Did you not think an interest rate might ever go up? Especially when you were told over and over again for a year that it was going to go up. But apparently that's precisely what happened. And I think part of this is also because the, the financial industry is so much larger today than it was before. Again, there's all these different kinds of instruments that are being traded all the time. It's a multiple. In other words, when the Fed used to raise and lower interest rates back in you know the late 70s and early 80s, for example, there were the banks, and that's basically it, right? I mean, if you can't get a loan from your bank, that's the end of the story for you. It's right? not now, the marketplace now. It's not. And so uh, these are the instruments that the Fed has at its disposal, and they should use them. But they, they're efficacy is, I think, much more limited and becomes less limited every day. And as time goes on, we're going to have to wonder how this is all going to work out. And 
when I was seeing these venture capitalists on TV saying, we don't really know what to do, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you are playing with fire here. Because again, we're yeah. using high technology right now and we use it every every job that you and I have had in the 21st century. Absolutely. Depends to one degree or another. All right, so this benefits us. Technology does benefit us and it's important that we recognize that openly. But all we hear about in tech today, and I mean, you know, just in the past couple of years is crypto fraud. Uh, Chat GPT is an asshole. Uh, yeah. Elon <laughs> Musk uh, Period. Elon Musk. Right? Period. Uh, yeah. And and on and on and things like this. Uh, face. The only reason we don't hear more about the metaverse is because nobody no is interested in the metaverse, right? People would might perhaps prefer that Mark Zuck Mark Zuckerberg spend more time not damaging the actual universe and less time trying to create a different one. Uh, and so. People don't like these things. And I'm not, that's just not me saying this. Uh, there's plenty of data about this. People aren't interested in the metaverse. They're scared of AI. Uh, they think Elon Musk is a jerk. Uh, and hey, uh, you just hit all three with me. All right. And so uh, uh, you don't have a leg to stand on here. That's right. As this crisis was unfolding on Sunday, uh, before the rescue was announced, which happened later that evening. I was watching Face the Nation, as you know, I often do. And one of the people on there was a congressman named Ro Khanna. Do you know who Ro Khanna is? I'm not familiar with Congressperson okay. Conga. He, Khanna. He, he, well, Silicon Valley Bank was in his district. Oh, he's, he's from the South Bay. Okay. Yes. He's a Democrat. He sure. identifies as a progressive Democrat. Sorry, that's the Bay Area South Bay, not to be confused with the Los Angeles South Bay. Correct. Uh, and he was making the case for exactly what happened. He said that all the deposits should be backstopped by the financial regulators. And, okay, that's what happened. And I can understand from an efficacy standpoint why you would advocate for that. But he went further. He said that we don't want people pulling all their money out of smaller banks and putting them into larger banks, right? As progressives, we don't want that to happen. Okay. Then, however, he went on to say that these depositors in Silicon Valley Bank weren't engaging in risky behavior. They were no. just putting their money in the bank. And I'm like, no, that is not true. Maybe you don't know it's not true, Mr. Khanna, but that's not true. 90 approximately 90 percent of all the deposits in svb were uninsured they were above, above a quarter of a million dollars of okay. fdic insurance so if you have that, that much coin you have a general idea of what's going on at that bank you should you might like to okay but no uh the point is operating without insurance is by definition risky behavior uh, and if Kana doesn't understand that, or maybe he didn't know what the level of uninsured deposit was at the bank, right? Just to be fair to him. Sure. Uh, but he was wrong about that. And I remember a couple of days before that, I was watching a CNN YouTube channel, and they had an interview with the CEO of one of SVB's startup customers. And 
This was aired on Friday, and she was talking about her experience of the day before, at which point she got an email, as did one of her one of the other principals at her company from one of their investors who said, you should probably pull your money out of Silicon Valley Bank. But that was all the investor said. Uh, the She did not mention whether or not this investor was on their board, uh, as many venture capitalists are on the boards of the startup companies that they advise. At any rate, so they were, you know, just going about their business, running their company. They couldn't connect with this investor right away. I took an hour or so to get him on the phone and say, what do you mean by this? And he explained to them that the bank was in danger of failing. So they went through this process of many small transfers of money out of SVB, making them small that so that they wouldn't trigger some sort of automated alarm that would prevent the transaction from going through. And they gradually got their balance in SVB down to under the $250,000 insured deposit cap. And she said he was talking about how scary this was to them, and I'm sure it was. However, if you had just diversified your deposits right. ahead of time, yeah. then you, you wouldn't, wouldn't have to be smuggling to be cash out in a raincoat. Yeah. Uh, and so whose fault is this really? And again, these venture capitalists on your board can't tell you aren't telling uh, aren't telling their clients maybe don't have all your money in one bank past the level of FDIC insurance. That's not some of the financial advice they provide to their clients. Well, then what are they telling them? And as it turns out, about half of the venture capital in the region of Silicon Valley was somehow involved in Silicon Valley Bank. I'm sorry, that's just stupid. Yeah. All right, that, that has nothing to do with you know. The, if you're concentrating this whole very speculative industry in one bank, you're just dumb. I mean, <laughs> it is a wildly speculative industry. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. No, it it's almost like people fundamentally misunderstood the nature of their investment. Yeah, or didn't care, right? Uh, uh, there, it's. I guess yeah, the willful ignorance or disregard is probably what makes us us that, regular folks so pissed off. Yeah, it's the entitlement, right? Because every one of these guys that I've seen on TV, totally un, unperturbed by the idea of that that the the feds should bail them out. The, there's a prevailing uh, sort of idea and among some people in this country that the job of the federal government is to be the janitor of the private sector. Uh, and you know what? To, to some degree, I think that's justified. The, the, the government does have to clean up stuff that the private sector can't. But they seem to think that's all the government is for. Uh, it's not for, oh, no, but don't regulate us. Yeah. Right? Don't, don't do anything that would that would stop this from happening. Just clean it up after it does. And it's revolting. It's just revolting. Uh, and so we have to hope that this doesn't spiral out of control much further than it already has. It would be very damaging uh, in many, many different ways, it, you know, pr primarily economically, but politically and in, uh, in as well. Sam, uh, I just just terrible. I just keep thinking about a conversation you and I had back when it looked like interest rates were going to go up. This is a couple of years ago. 
And I think I was talking about a credit card balance or something. And you and I were both like, yeah, you know, unless you have that locked in, you probably need to get that down. Right? Right. We are not anywhere near the FDIC insurance limit in our deposits. Right? Uh, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, no. I'm like, if that's what two, two morons, two LA bozos can have musicians. that. Musicians. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. We're musicians. That's a great yeah. point. We're guitar players. If we can figure this out. What are these people doing? And so I, I guess I feel validated. And now, because you and I have not spoken much since this has all gone down. So I feel very validated in, in sharing the outrage. Because, you know. I, well, now, we should be happy that there was no taxpayer money involved. So far. Right? Yeah, so far. Right. And that's what I meant when I said that we have to hope that it doesn't this doesn't go much further. I think there will be other shoes to drop uh, in this matter as time goes on. We just have to hope that there are not many of them and that they're not very large. And I think that's not an unreasonable hope. All right. In some ways. Because this was a regional bank involved in just one sector and the most highly speculative sector of our economy. Uh, we can hope that there actually aren't a lot of other banks in this same sort of uh, situation. Right. To compare it to 2008, it was uniquely widespread and toxic because mortgages are something that millions yeah, and, of people have. Yeah. And there also isn't this enormous asset class that nobody understands. I mean, these are treasury bonds we're talking about, for Christ's sake. Right. right? I mean, they've been around forever. People know how they work. They're completely transparent. Uh, they're they're not invisible, and you know, like nobody knows where who has them and how much. You know, that's not what's happening now, uh, and so that's really good news. Oh, that is to say, it's the as I've been saying, it's the least bad outcome uh, so far that we could hope for, uh, and so we'll have to hope that it continues along that same. Path. 